Hello and welcome to Is This Room Free? My name is Martin Drake and I'm an ex-HR professional who is now the founder and managing director of Hire People, a recruitment business that is raising the standards in the way recruitment agencies operate. In this podcast, I will be talking to HR professionals and listening to the stories of their careers. I will be finding out about the journeys they have taken and what they have learned along the way. The purpose is to help others in the profession identify and understand the various paths available and take inspiration from my guest speakers. Whether you are someone who is looking to get that first step on the HR career ladder or an aspiring HR director, I hope you get value from my conversations. So, without further ado, let's get on with the show. Hello everyone and thanks for tuning in to another episode. What a great guest I have for you today. I'm joined by Lisa Tomlinson, who recently started her own HR consultancy and is also a joint founder of the Happy HR Facebook group. Lisa did a lot of varied roles before starting in HR. However, she went from a first HR role to HR business partner in only a couple of years. Lisa then progressed all the way to head of people before deciding to set up by herself at the end of last year. We explore loads of topics in this episode, and Lisa is someone who has very strong opinions about the role of HR. She's also passionate about supporting HR professionals and equipping them with the tools to become more resilient, as well as training to become an executive coach. I know you'll love listening to everything we discuss, and it's jam-packed with insights for people at all levels in the HR profession. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Is This Room Free? So... This week, I have a a very, very interesting lady who has got possibly one of the most colourful backgrounds um, I think I've yet discovered as any of my guests in terms of um, the route that she took in getting into HR. You've definitely got a a very interesting HR career, but I think um, the multitude of jobs that you got or did before you got to HR I'm very, very curious about it, if I'm honest. Um, so anyway, Lisa, I'm going to pass over to you. Would you just like to tell the listeners um, who you are and kind of what you do right now? Yeah, thanks, Martin. That's a great introduction. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure I've ever I've ever been introduced along those lines before. but uh, yeah. I'm definitely not Graham Norton, am I? <laughs> <laughs> I think Colourful Pass probably sums it up quite well. Um, so I'm, I'm now the director and founder of my own business, Limelight People Group, and have been um, for the last few months. Um, I'm also a director of a, a multi-academy trust. Um, I've co-founded the Happy HR Facebook community as well for strategic um, kind of thought leadership in HR um, and I'm an executive coach in training so at the moment I have a number of hats. Wow oh, wow and a mother of two. Yes a mother of two. So ridiculously ridiculously busy so I don't know how you squeeze it all in um, but let's go let's kind of go back to the the beginning then so you're you, if I'm right you didn't go to university. No, I didn't. No, I, when I was a lot younger, I kind of didn't really know what I wanted to do. So I tried to go to art college um, for a few weeks in Bourneville in Birmingham. For a few weeks, um, just weeks. <laughs> yeah, for a few weeks. And um, after a few weeks, I thought, you know, th- this isn't really what I want to be doing. Um, and I ended up kind of moving to Newquay for a few years to kind of find myself a bit more. So I, I packed my bags. I was 16 and I just looked at a map and thought, oh, Newquay's nice. I think I'll go there. <laughs> Wow. 
Yeah, so um, so no new universe. Key, new Key is nice, though. It's beautiful. Oh, do you know what? I loved it. It was probably one of the most favourite times of my life working in New Key. So I worked on a beach and I did surf hire and did ice creams um, on the beach and a few other little jobs. But I had my own flat there and it was it was just awesome. I loved wow. it. And did, that's you, where I met, um, did you find yourself? Well, so, I, so I, met, I met some really good people down there and then I ended up going to South Africa for six months, um, kind of based on the people that I'd met. Uh, and that that probably was where I really found myself. So I went I went on there uh, over there on my own um, and I was 19 and wow. I, 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 I went with somebody on the plane and then we kind of separated. And I remember saying to him, um, so what language do they speak in South Africa? And this was when I was on the plane with my backpack and he was like, you know, there's 11 national languages and, you know, it's like a really diverse country. And I had no idea about anything. Wow. Um, but when I came back from there after six months, I think that's when I'd really kind of found out a lot more about myself. Yeah. Fantastic. So, so let's, let's just go through this kind of colourful journey to get to the point of HR then. So talk to me about um, kind of skim over the kind of roles that you did and and how ultimately or, or yeah, how you eventually got into HR then? Yeah, so so I mean, if we went through every role I did, we'd be here all day. Because <laughs> I've done I've done a fair few, um, including when I was travelling and yeah, tooth gems on a beach and all sorts of stuff. But I think my, my background mainly uh, was sales up until a point, um, and I really enjoyed that. Um, and I did kind of cold hard sales. I did exhibition sales and. I feel like that gave me a really good start and a really good foundation for every other role that I've done, which is really interesting because I think you don't meet many HR people from a sales background. Um, But it eventually led me into recruitment. So I worked for Pertex and that was my first proper job, I would say. Um, And I just loved it. I did a temps desk for a bit. I did a perm desk. uh, Really, really enjoyed it. I had a great team. Um, And then I fell pregnant with my son. And I knew that I didn't want to be working full time, really long hours when I had children. So like many people, you know, you go into recruitment when you're when you're young, free, single. And then when you have a family life, it maybe doesn't work. Or like me, you go back into recruitment at the age of 36 when you've got a one-year-old yeah (laughs) (laughs) wow a one-year-old at 36 (laughs) and now what am I 42 with a five and a half month old so yeah so the energy I had then I definitely don't have the energy now that is a killer (laughs) well it sounds like you do I mean maybe the long hours is a benefit now (laughs) you know I categorically don't do the well I do do the long hours I just um I chop and change my day a little bit so that I kind of get the family time as well and yeah kind of work yeah. work a little bit in the evening yeah yeah and that's the difference isn't it because you're your own boss and you know you yeah. have your own business whereas yeah. you know at attempts it, it wasn't really like that although you know I loved my time there and it gave me such a great foundation so long story short I had a kind of five-year career break where I had some maternity leaves I thought it was going to be amazing I got bored really quickly because you know, you can probably see I'm the type of person that gets bored very easily. So um, I did a qualification in bookkeeping and realised that was really boring. Um, and then, and then um, I ran a cake business because I started doing cupcakes and everybody loved them. So um, I had a, quite a successful baking business for about 18 months. Um, but what I found was it was successful in the way that I got a lot of business and it was very popular and I had a big Instagram following and all the rest of it. Um, but I was probably on about 20 an hour when I looked at it, yeah. and I was working, you know, seven days a week. 
I remember being up at three o'clock in the morning making sugar roses for a wedding cake and just thinking this is not worth it <laughs> yeah yeah you that, that that's the thing isn't it sometimes when people go into businesses they do what they're passion or their hobby is and actually when you then look at the margins and the commerciality of it that that passion and that hobby then when you kind of do it on a job and realize you're not making a lot from it it kind of then negates the reason that that you were doing it yeah it's a shame but totally so I went for this part-time job um it was somebody at Pertemps actually contacted me and said oh there's this part-time HR job at a college um would you be interested so you'd not even considered HR it was just somebody kind of came to you with it yeah and they knew because because it was pertinent they knew my recruitment background um which again you know for me that's a huge huge part of HR you know I love recruitment I love the fact that you, you know that's where that's where it all starts you know if you get that right the rest of it is a lot easier because you've got yeah. the right people in the room yeah. um so I, I always found that a really good grounding and when I started as a, a HR assistant um, at a college a lot of it was recruitment. A lot of it was kind of coordinating and, um, you know, that kind of admin side as well. Um, but it always stood me in really good stead. Good, good. So that was that was kind of how you then got into HR. And what's interesting, we've kind of not really alluded to yet, but just for the listener's perspective, um, you actually had a very accelerated HR career in terms of kind of your progression um, through the ranks, if you kind of want to call it that. So do you want to kind of talk me through well I guess I'm, I'm interested in so you've kind of come into HR inadvertently almost um you you clearly kind of I mean we've spoken kind of at, at, at length kind of prior to you joining the podcast and um and I think if I remember rightly you very much said you know you your background in sales you believe is kind of giving you some some kind of core skills that have helped you just through your your general kind of career life um do you almost feel as though kind of as you then went into HR that you'd found, I don't want to sound cheesy here, but did you kind of feel as though you'd found what you were supposed to be doing in a way? Do you know? Yeah, I really did. And it was it was because what you've alluded to, I've got a really eclectic, you know, background. I mean, not That's just a good in- way. I should have used that. Not yeah. colourful. I should have gone with eclectic. <laughs> like everything. I'm quite eclectic. I like I like variety. Um, my son, as I was saying, he has ADHD and um, it, it you know, I do, I do feel I've got kind of a bit few traits of that. So I love variety. I get bored very, very easily. Um, and what HR, being a HR generalist allows you to do is use a really wide variety of skills. I've never been bored in HR, never, because, you know, you you flip from recruitment to payroll, you know, and that's my finance qualification that I did came in handy with the payroll calculations, um, you know, and then you're kind of negotiating and influencing. And that's where those sales skills, um, you know, have always really helped me to kind of build rapport and be a good people person, you know, and then you're looking at wider strategy, um, you know, talent management. So, so you, you, you've, there's a whole array of things. And I tried to specialize at one point in my career and found it. I, I, I love the generalist. I love the generalist aspect. What did you try and specialize in? Well, <laughs> I tried to specialize as a HR systems expert in IT because I, because I really enjoy IT. Um, and I get it. And a lot of people don't. And the, the team I was in found the database and, and that kind of like programming language really difficult. Whereas I, I was kind of okay with it. So I thought, oh, this could be a money spinner. I could specialize in HR systems. There's not many people doing that. Um, 
and I did it for about three months and it was so boring. Um, and I was looking over at the desk that did ER and the desk that did recruitment and the desk that did L&D. Um, and I was just looking over really envious, thinking I want to be doing that. I'm missing out on all the fun. I'm going to ask you something now because um, I'm I'm listening to you and I'm um, obviously I've, I've kind of um, hosted other um, kind of podcasts with other guests on and, and something that um, kind of very um, prominent that uh, maybe some of the um, maybe listeners in the earlier parts of their careers could really really benefit from is um, it's often kind of come to the fore about um, the real need to have a good commercial acumen or commercial understanding that can help you um, operate but also progress as a HR professional and and you know if I'm listening to you certainly it is really that kind of eclectic um, background and all of those different types of hats that you have worn through your career that almost have enabled I feel like I'm now putting words into your mouth and I shouldn't be, but this is kind of what I'm kind of um, um, the melting pot that's going on in my, my own head is um, I'm anticipating that by having done all of those things, what you've done is brought a very broad toolkit into the world of HR. And therefore, rather than just being someone who kind of came in first ever job as a HR administrator and then went to HR assistant, HR advisor, you had a, an understanding of all of these other skills, functions, um, tools, whatever you want to kind of call it, that you've brought into HR role. Would you? Am I, am I kind of? Would you say that I'm going along the right lines that then make you inquisitive about when you're in the business, embedding yourself, and wanting to kind of know the, the breadth across the organisation from a commercial perspective. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, because I was in sales, I was I was mulling over this the other day because obviously I've started my own business now and it's it's in my head, it's the first time I've properly started a business. But when I looked back, my whole career, almost all of those roles were similar in the way that they were autonomous. You know, so when you run a perm desk in recruitment, you're your own, you know, you're your own business, aren't you? You've got your own targets, you have to hit those. You know, and, and the sales jobs I'd had, um, you know, it was it was here's your product, sell it and you keep that percentage. So the roles that I'd done had always given me that that business acumen in terms of, you know, say a business is simple. It's, you know, I, what value am I offering and what can I get for it? And then what am I going to get from that? So I think having that real basic concept of a business really, really helped. Um, and you know, in HR, there's so much more complexity that's added to it because you're dealing with with the people element. And I think that's what I really enjoyed when I joined HR, because before that, it had only ever been kind of me and my business and what I was doing. And that adds in a whole, you know, the whole kind of human behavioural science piece of, um, you know, how people make an organisation rather than it just being, a you know, your products that you sell. Yeah. And I'd say the, the other thing on that, one of the things that's always really frustrated me, actually. So I went into HR in a college um, and obviously their charities, their corporations and charities. I did go into private sector for a few months and then I went back to a charity slash college. And when I was applying for jobs before I started up the business, um, a lot of times I heard, you know, your public sector, your charity, you have no mm-hmm. commercial action. And 
I really, really, it, it gets my goat that recruiters in particular, when they're looking at HR people or, you know, organisations that are asking the recruiters to look, kind of pigeonhole people. And I know from being a recruiter, you have to do that. You have to narrow people down. If you've got 150 people, you have to narrow them down. But equally, I always felt very much put in a box of not having commercial acumen. So it's a really, really interesting point that you bring up. Yeah. Just to that, I mean, I have a lot of beef with the world of recruitment. Um, anybody who follows Everybody any of this. Yeah, well, that, that, you know, my whole reason of being a recruiter now is because I was a job seeker, a HR person okay. who was looking for a new job that just got so hacked off with every agency that, I, you know, thought I could do better. So so kind of went went into it uh, for the second time in my life. Um, but I think one of the frustrations that I have sometimes with recruiters is that, again, they haven't necessarily, a lot of them worked outside of anywhere except a recruitment agency. Typically, um, within the UK, the model is of a recruitment agency. They will bring in a graduate, somebody who's straight from university, and then get them to recruit for these roles that they have never worked in, have no understanding in. Um, and therefore, they are, I don't want to broad brush here, but um, can be limited in their understanding of actually going okay well yes you have worked in a charity there is a um a, a stigma associated with that but it doesn't mean that you are of that way and i'm very conscious of what i've just said i've literally just done with recruiters um and i don't mean to do that but but that can be a frustration you often find sometimes with the recruiters um yeah and, and, and really good ones see past that and really good ones can use their influencing skills you know, and get to know you and, and kind of spec you into somebody. Um, but yeah, it was it, it was just on that commercial acumen point of view, because, you know, I do feel like I've got a lot of commercial acumen. I've run, run multiple businesses, you know, but to, so to be told I'm not commercial enough because I've only worked in a charity. I was, yeah. you know, and, and that kind of public sector thing as well. So I've often seen comments where people that have never worked in the public sector judge it as kind of, you know, slow, uncommercial, bureaucratic. And actually in the public sector sometimes they're so far ahead and advanced compared to private sector private sector can really learn a lot you know in terms of dni i mean blind cvs and panel shortlisting and panel interviews have been done for years in public mm. sector equality impact assessments you know and now all of this stuff starting to come into the private sector but again there's, there's sometimes that stigma of kind of you know all oh, public sector is not very commercial and it's yeah. you know that you know what the you know it, it's an easy ride from no. my experience as a recruiter, I would probably say um, you should really judge the public sector in very much the way you do a private sector in terms of they're all different. You will get some that are very um, archaic and, and that operate with that label that we would associate a lot of um, public sector organisations. But there are equally a lot of private sector organisations who still you know, regard HR as personnel and a compliance function. Mm -hmm. There are some um, public sector organisations, there's some councils that I have worked with who are really leading the charge. And what they're saying is, you know, yeah. well, compare us against a private organisation. Actually, we have um, multiple different um, directorates. So, you know, it's like being a, a group of businesses. Yeah. We have all of these challenges. We go through change management constantly. Um, our Budget's been slashed year on year, so we're trying to operate more efficiently and effectively. 
and then you can go, oh, actually, yeah, that's comparable to exactly what would happen within some private organisation. So I think for me, you really need to judge them on each on a case by case basis rather than labeling them saying well that's public sector that's private sector that's charity you know not for profits that's um that's legal firms that's um manufacturing they're all different um but going back to your point i really find it very refreshing because i think overarching principle over all of what we've just probably covered there is it very much exists in the world that we operate when it comes to recruitment that people go, have you worked in this sector before? Mm, yeah. <laughs> and it doesn't matter yeah. what sector they, and like you say, you know, I am a recruiter and if I have a role and I'm going to get, I don't know, 20, 30 interested individuals for it, I have to shortlist them. I cannot interview all 30 people. I don't have the time and the resource and you do have to filter down on some some way and that's why I really like as a recruiter just registering people without doing it on a kind of job by job basis just meeting people because then I go when a job does come up I go oh I know that person to go to rather than oh I'm going to filter a bunch of applicants down for this job I can as a recruiter I can go to I can go to market based on my knowledge of my network and people and do it on that basis. And, and that's, for me, that's really where recruiters should be. That's the, the value they should be adding into, you know, partnering with organizations because I think organizations can post adverts themselves and go through that process. Really, they should pay, be paying recruiters a fee because of all that legwork that recruiters should be doing that organizations aren't doing. Because you're a talent spotter and that's what it should be about. You know, look, this. I mean, when I was in recruitment, you know, this is, this is exactly what I would do. I'd have a wildcard candidate, which if you're a recruiter, you know, you generally do. So you have what they've asked for and then you have your wildcard that's somebody they haven't asked for. But you know that they'll fit that that culture, that they'll bring something, you know, that they that they could really fit in with that role and, um, you know, do some great work. And those nine out of 10 times, those were the people that they'd get because I'd yeah. use my influencing skills to kind of to kind of get them. But you know what I'd love is rather than it to be based on what people kind of on their CV, I'd love it to be more like a dating app. Um, we call <laughs> we were talking about this the other day, we called it LinkedIn. So you could have LinkedIn. It's my if anyone wants to fund me for that, I'm I'm happy to have some funding. Um but you could have all of your skills, all of the things that you do, and you could rate them for what you feel are your best skills. And then the the people uh, recruiting could say what skills they feel are really important for the job, you know, and it could automatically match you. And then you can like swipe left and swipe right and see a little video. That would just be perfect. Yeah, you now got me thinking because <laughs> obviously, I, I, well, I you know about the video kind of the yeah. 3D CV concept that we do. And, and for people who don't know, no. So last year I innovated um, to um, have a five minute video profile of me. You know, I spend an hour interviewing candidates for a role and then I um, um, edit that down to a five minute summary and that accompanies the traditional CV. So it's a rounded perspective on it. And that's kind of an element where, you know, again, with this wildcard, because I'm like you, um, I've always found that the wildcard for me is the person who's got the job um, yeah. because it's it's something about that individual rather than, you know, being just... Um, the chronology of experience on a piece of paper um, and and this video profiling um tool that we kind of use works really well for that um but I, yeah i really kind of like that idea of the um 
yeah there's there's something there that can go. be done there there is something that can be watch, done watch this space for the new startup unfortunately <laughs> I, i'm not rich enough that i can I, i'm certainly not an angel investor i'm not i'm not there yeah i, I can't fly over in my helicopter or my come cruise down in my yacht and have a conversation with you about no, this but, but it's, it's a good it's a good concept though it's that i think that you know we, we are digressing because we're talking about recruitment here rather than hr but for me that's why um I'm trying to kind of create a, what I class as a, a modern recruitment business rather than a traditional recruitment agency because it's about this innovation. We have so much technology. And, and I've said it before, when I came into recruitment in 2016, having been out of it for six years, you know, I joined recruitment in 2000, and 2000 2001. And when I rejoined in 2016, the only thing that had changed was we now had a computer each, whereas in the past we'd had to share one. Um, LinkedIn was more prominent and the internet was better. The rest of it was the same, yet the world had gone light years ahead in those 16 it's, years. It's massively due disruption. And, and there is a lot of people out there that are starting, you know, like you said with the video CVs, um, you know, there's a few people that I've spoke to that are really starting to kind of disrupt the market with technology. Yeah. And I think, you know, the, the COVID pandemic, I think, has probably pushed that forward even further even further so yeah yeah good disruption on its way i think with yeah it's, it's definitely the the independence um you know such as myself and i'm seeing it i'm connected to quite a few and there's definitely a lot of kind of smaller independent agencies who are really driving this change whereas i think the the bigger beasts i'm not going to name them um you know schmeichel beige and um and um, <laughs> bays um and organizations like um like ones that might have names like that <laughs> nobody can work that one out um they're just so big that it's, it's difficult for them to kind of drive that that change um anyway anyway right park yeah. recruitment back onto the career so without kind of going what i don't want to do with you is kind of go through well you know what was the role of hr officer what was the next role like because people can listen to other podcasts where i've covered that off with people talk to me about how you fast tracked your career because um so you went from Tell me what you went from and to in the space of time. You said it was something like four years. Yeah, so so I joined the college and I was a HR assistant. And um, I was only there for two years and it felt like so much longer. So I was a HR assistant and then there was a merger coming. So the college I joined was about 400 people and there was another college that was 400 people. And because of area reviews, it was merging. So because of that, the HR advisor at the time... Um, HR officer I think she left so I moved up to being a HR officer we then went through this big merger so all the kind of policies processes systems people all came over from this other college but it it kind of felt like a hostile takeover to them and I think it did end up being a bit you know a bit like that um so because I was the person that was left after this other person left, I ended up training all the people that came over on the systems, ended up writing all the procedure guides, kind of refreshing all the systems and processes. And that's something I really enjoyed doing because can I just, I cannot, before we kind of go in, so why did you end up being the person doing that? Because there was nobody else and I was I was okay. Well, I was good at it. Okay. I don't want to blame myself it because, because you know, I did it and no one else did. But that's what I mean. So, so there are other people who, who wouldn't take that on board. Well, there just wasn't the capacity. I mean, again, you know, public sector, you just don't have the capacity. It's it's always, you know, you're always doing a job or a job and a half in public sector. So, yeah, I'm I'm really big on efficiency. You know, I really everything you know you do it the most efficient way that you want to uh, that you can so 
um, I, yeah, I kind of made all the systems very effective, efficient, trained everybody in how to do them and got the, got the team working well. And I think at that point I became senior HR officer. So there was four, I think there was four or five HR officers and I was kind of the senior person, but had no line management responsibility. And although I kind of sorted all the systems and processes out, like I said, I was quite good with IT. So I, I implemented workflows that automated different things. Um, but it was quite frustrating because I didn't, because I think that's one of the hardest roles when you're kind of team leader, but you don't have any management responsibility because mm-hmm. almost you're, you can kind of see everything that you could change if you, if you were a manager, but you can't. And, you know, it was quite a frustrating place to be. So I did that for about another year at the college. Um, and then um, we did this big redundancy drive, big change management piece. And really, I feel like that two years that I was at the college, I also studied my level three CIPD. And that was the first level three qualification that I'd got in my life because I didn't, you know, as I said before, yeah. art college for three weeks and that was it. So, um, yeah, that that was really big for me to go back to studying, even at so level just, three. Just before we jump in, so I, I think I was trying to get to something there that I don't know whether I was going down the right track or not. So what I try and do is kind of get into... Um, kind of people's psyche a little bit which makes it sound a bit weird but um <laughs> what I was listening to so I'm, I'm curious about how people progress and, and how people stand out from the crowd and what they do differently because what I want to do is understand if you're doing something differently how then listeners can pick up on that and go oh, okay so if I start doing that and introducing that into kind of how I operate maybe I can have an Im- or similar sort of impact to this individual Rightly or wrongly, what I was hearing then was you're somebody who, so you you said there was nobody else to do this, so you picked it up and you started um, improving policies and systems and procedures. What I was trying to get at was, but you were trying to change things. So other people, in my perspective, would take you know be given responsibility to do that and would just go through the status quo still and just teach people well this is you know this is what's in place this is how you do it but what I was hearing from you is you saw that as an opportunity to drive change through things Um, and that's the bit that I want to explore of am I right are you somebody who saw that as an opportunity to go right we can we can do things differently here and I'm going to be the the flag bearer of kind of driving change there's a there's a window of opportunity here that responsibility has been given to me to teach these people but you know what I think we can do better um and kind of driving change is am I I kind of going down the right track here yeah it's funny and uh, it's funny that you've that you've hit on that so when I first started in my role as the HR assistant I probably spent the first three or four months going why on earth do you do this like this this is such an old-fashioned way to do things. I mean, so this is one of what this is. Like, yeah. This is like, what I want to get in now. So this is how yeah. you operate. You're different. Yeah, because they were they were sending memos, so you couldn't just send an email. You had to like write what you wanted in a memo and then attach it to the email and then send it. And there, there was all kinds of little, you know, funny old processes and and decrepit old spreadsheets that someone had set up a million years ago and nobody knew how and nobody knew how to change it and systems that hadn't been properly implemented so there was 10 spreadsheets are really common in HR um you know the, the the system doesn't do what it should or nobody's kind of put the time and effort into understanding how to make it work so you just get revert back to a spreadsheet um and I, re- I was smirking when you said that because 
I remember being called into my HR director's office, who I'm still very close with now. Um, and I remember her saying to me, I love that you're bringing some innovation, but you're going to have to be really careful because the things that you're saying aren't working very well are things that other people in the team have set up and you're upsetting a few people. <laughs> and I did have to kind of pull my neck in a little bit. And I've seen other people do that since. And it's, you know, it can be quite... Um, you know, if you've if you've spent your time and effort setting something up and someone new comes in and says, oh, this is rubbish, why are you doing it like that? Obviously, you know, it can be quite, you know, tread on people's toes a little bit. Um, so I did have to learn that lesson. But what you said there was about a window of opportunity. And there definitely was a window of opportunity then where other people had left. You know, the, there wasn't that, oh, we tried that before and it didn't work. Or this is the way we've always done that you know, those kind of narratives left. Yeah. And yeah. There was that golden opportunity where I could kind of push, push okay. through. Cool. For, for the listeners' benefits, obviously, you know, I'm a recruiter and I try and kind of coach people um, through their CVs and how they can kind of make themselves the best version of themselves when they go out to market. Um, just for kind of listeners' benefits, this is exactly what I advocate to everybody. So where you have driven change within an organization this is the stuff that needs to go into your cv yes have your responsibilities on there but you need achievements achievements are what differentiate you and set you apart from the crowd and the other people who are applying for jobs so if anybody's listened to this and is writing a cv or is going to write a cv at some point which probably should be everybody um this is the stuff that you need to articulate onto your cv it's about not only what you do but the impact that you've had, because people want to know, you know, Lisa, you'll probably say this as someone who's hired, you want people who are going to drive change and, and make improvements. And, you know, that is what is going to make a CV stand out for you. But again, interviewing as you're looking to build people into your team, that's the stuff that you're going to be looking for going, I like you, you've got an energy and enthusiasm, you challenge the status quo in the right way. Um, maybe, you know, you in your <laughs> earlier career, probably didn't need shackling a little bit but your intentions were good um but that that's the stuff isn't it that you're looking for as a as a kind of senior hr leader when you're building a team and recruiting you want people who are going to drive change and and go we can be done better you know let's raise the standards let's let's make things quicker faster more efficient yeah, definitely. And, and when it comes to CVs as well, I, I, I'd add into there that you, you, the trick with a CV, I think, is to really try and get your personality across on it because they, you know, they are just a list of duties sometimes and you can't feel anything from it and you can't. Well, you may anything. as well as just attach your job description at the end exactly. of it if that's what exactly. you're going to do. But, you know, if you can get on there, you know, I'm passionate about this. I've worked really hard in my own time to do this. I've, you know, this is the outcome, the impact that I've made because I feel like this. You know, it kind of gets your personality across. And I think sometimes people are scared of doing that because they want to be generic. They want they want the CV to work with whatever organisation or whatever job they're going to. And actually, I would say, own yourself. Yeah. You know, actually, I put on my CV, you know, I'm passionate about DNI, I'm passionate about diversity and inclusion, and about values led, employee led organisations. I don't want to go work for somebody that isn't passionate about DNI. You know, I'll self select myself out of that process. So if you own it, you know, you'll naturally be, you'll naturally appeal to the right organisation. And when you get there, you'll be so much happier. Don't try and be like, please everybody, because what will happen is you you might go to an organisation and realise actually, it's, you know, it's not really in line with your own values and what you want to do. 
Yeah, I'm definitely starting to see kind of more people kind of doing that as well. Um, you know, actually, this is what is important to me, and I'm I want an employee or I want to join an organisation that 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 aligns with me, and I align with them. Perfect. Okay, sorry, I kind of interrupted, but I was cure. I I could just sense there was something there that that was making you different, and that's kind of what I want to explore because you you did have this accelerated career, and there's a reason why it wasn't just because everybody left and you were the last man standing so they gave you the the job there's something happened here kind of along the way that's made you um stand out from the crowd so so sorry i think you said um i can't remember where i kind of interrupted you at there was um um something was happening at the college yeah so so there was a big merger um and there was a couple of projects that people um so, so one of the projects, for instance, was with the merger, there was two databases and one database had to be implemented into the other database. And that was a project that came about to manage. And I suppose because, I, because I'd been developing my IT skills at that point, um, I kind of put my hand up and said, yeah, I'll do that project. Um, and it was it was quite a challenging project. As anybody that's implemented a database knows, um, it's quite a challenging project to be involved in. And I had to really, you know, learn a lot of new skills about um, kind of data and all kinds of, you know, probably fairly boring stuff. But I had to learn how to do all of that and really get to know the database. And I did end up working, I mean, I remember working a whole weekend just inputting data because I was so determined to get this project done. Um, you know, and, and have a database at the end of it that had clean data that you could pull really good reports off that would give you the information you needed that you're going scratching around in a file for it. You know, I was I was really passionate about making this a good legacy that I was leaving and making it the best that I could. So like I said, I used to sit in, I remember sitting in training and writing three workflows down, just the logic of kind of three different workflows and what documents would be sent to who and at what dates and what would prompt that because I was really passionate about making the department more efficient, automating the crap, really, so that people had time for all the good stuff, which is the people stuff. Because when yeah. you're so bogged down, which if you're early on in your career, you know, you, you will be just bogged down with day-to-day admin. And one thing that I always felt quite passionately about was that my week would look like a pie chart and there would be a lot of day-to-day in there but a percentage of that pie chart would always be for the strategic stuff. Even when I was an assistant, it would be for things that made a long-term change. And that's really what strategic is. It's things that make a long-term change to get to the point you want to get to. So a part of that would always be for strategic stuff. And a part of it would always be for self-development and fun. So, you know, doing a database isn't everybody's idea of fun. At that point, it was mine. And I think those that little slither of the pie chart for those two things is what really made the difference because a lot of people will be 100% day to day you know we what spoke- are they telling me to do what's my to-do list telling me to do yeah we've we've covered this in other um, episodes where people have said this as well that you need to spend some of your time on self development you know if you are ambitious and you want to progress to the next role the only way you're going to get that next role is by starting to do it you know i think in the last episode of podcast i tried to explain like a venn diagram where you know there's a crossover bit and the only way you're going to get that kind of crossover element is by starting to take on some additional elements of the job that you want to be doing um and that you know for me i as a business leader i um 
very much now I'm starting to apply the kind of principle you said, where I've got loads of ideas of stuff that I want to do to, you know, be innovative and kind of drive change in, in terms of the way recruitment is done. But until I start to actively work on some of those bits and get myself away from my day to day, they're never going to get done. Um, and I really like that um, kind of um, descriptive element that you've done as a, as a kind of a pie chart, because it's right. You, you know, you can kind of chop your week up um, in, a, in a pie chart and say, well, that's you know what I have to do. But there is there's, there's wiggle room in there somewhere. You can make that time to be doing value add stuff development stuff you know for me working on the business whatever it may be for each individual um, and I think that's a really good kind of clear way of, of kind of picturing it to to apply to you know you as an individual yeah and I mean I don't know if you know if you know the Pareto principle but that's the 80 20 rule um, and I use that a lot with coaching clients now and and it I mean you can use it on all sorts of stuff but um in terms of my role, it's 20% of the things that you do that make 80% of the difference. You know, so if you identify what is that 20% of the things I'm doing that's making the impact, you know, that's where that's where you can really start to make a difference. Because if I look at my career trajectory, the thing, the thing that's made me be able to go at my career is that 20% of stuff that I've done that's extra or different or, you know, that I've worked hard for. Do you know, I'm laughing. Um, obviously, listeners can't see this. I was laughing um, in the background then because um, I didn't know it was, I didn't know it had a, a formal name like that. But I, I was on a, um, I was on a coaching um, course um, last Friday. I'm on, I'm on a kind of, uh, I'm going through kind of a program at the moment. And I literally said that I'm stuck in the 80-20 um, situation where 80% of my time is taken up with stuff that's only going to give me 20% value yeah. and really I need to be doing the 20% that's going to give me the 80% um and I wish I'd have known it had a technical term because I decided oh, well, more posh. do you know what google it Pareto principle because it works for everything so um 20% of the people in the UK will pay for the other 80% of the people in terms of yeah. you know benefits and things it like was that. actually yeah. it was a it was a manufacturing director who um who <clears> taught, <throat> taught me um kind of the he just kind of defined it as the 80 20 rule so that's yeah. all I know it as um but he explained it to me and it, it kind of really resonated that, that you know I remember the day that he kind of told me um and it, it's kind it's of stuck with me ever since it is you like you say it, it kind of it, it applies to so so many things mm-hmm. cool so kind of how do we then get to kind of um I'm interested now to kind of get to you you kind of when you were progressing, you kind of yeah. did this system, um, but I really kind of want to get to the the kind of the the head of people role because I want to kind of get into the awards that you won. That just listen and be going, "Ooh, what's this bit about awards?" <laughs> yeah, so, so in a nutshell, I, um, I was senior HR officer. I I went for two jobs. Um, I got them both on the same day and had to make a decision. Um, they were both eleven grand pay rises. So I went from senior HR officer that I'd only been for probably eight months, and at that point I just got my CIPD, and I had my choice of two. Uh, um, it was a HR manager job or a HR advisor for systems job, and I ended up going for the HR advisor for systems job. Um, I didn't. I didn't enjoy it. Like I said, I, I felt pigeonholed. Um, it was, I had a young family. It was lots of reasons I didn't enjoy it. So I stayed there for three months, four months, um, and then was very lucky to get this, this job at Fircroft College. 
So I remember driving up on my interview and it's like this like black and white building with six acres of grounds and huge fir trees. It's George Cabrio Jr.'s old house. So it's a proper old, you know, chocolate box, Bourneville house um, and thinking, oh, my God, this place is amazing. But when I looked at the job, I thought, Do you know what, it's HR manager. It's more than I was earning the job I've just walked out of. Um, but they didn't even have a computer system. It was files in a cupboard that were out of date, covered in dust. I thought you were going to um, say covered in chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> They're covered in dust. And there was 32 employees. And I thought, what do they need a HR manager for? There's only 32 employees. God, this is going to be all right, you know, Sky. Um, I went for four days a week because I wanted a bit of balance with the family. And um, I really debated over whether to go for it because I thought this isn't in line with my career. This isn't what I want to do because I want to go into systems and I want the nice, you know, I want to be that kind of unique systemsy person and develop all of that. And I thought, well, do you know what? I'm going to take it and I'll try it and I'll see. And Oh my God, it was uh, uh, 32 people you would not think could create so much HR work. But I went in, within about three or four months, there was a new a new principal. Um, and when we looked at it, it was a really stagnant organisation that hadn't been touched for 20 years in many, many ways. So we ended up redoing all of the terms and conditions, restructuring the whole organization at the same time with unions, with casework. Um, and it was a really kind of full on 18 months. And what we started right from the start, the first thing we did was um, work with the staff to define the values. And my first initiative was to put in an employee voice team. So I kind of I was building the plane whilst I was flying it. I mean, this was this was two and a half years after I'd gone into HR. So I'd gone from HR assistant to HR manager, two and a half years. I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> so how did you, that's what I mean. So how did you know to kind of do an employee voice and things like that? Did it just logically make sense or was it stuff that you had pick, kind of picked up along the way? I mean, what was lucky was because I'd been in a college, I replicated all of those day-to-day systems, um, you know, and I still, I kept really good relationships with the college. So, you know, they were able to share documents with me. So the, the kind of basics got put in straight away. And in terms of employee voice, you know, I, I knew that I didn't really know what I was doing. You know, I did to some extent. I'd, I'd run a big restructure in the last college and been very involved. But I knew that I was kind of lacking in some of my experience and knowledge. So I researched the hell out of it. You know, I was I was Googling everything, case studies. The CIPD were very helpful. And that's where I struck on, you know, good change management involves employees. That's the most important part. Um, you know, therefore, an employee voice can be really helpful. And I read a case study. And I came in and I said, look, this is what I want to do. And they were like, well, at the time, they were like, we, ha- we have one in place. And when I asked everybody about it, they said, they said, oh, the, the cross college group. Well, that's just a place where bitter people bitch and moan about each other. Um, and I was like, mm, OK, what I'm going to do then is disband that group and I'm going to start up a new group. And the strap line is this is for people that want to make a positive change. Because the culture was not good. It was toxic. There was all kinds of power pockets, all kinds of different silos and dynamics going on. Um, And I was like, no, this is interesting with such a small headcount, isn't it? Yeah, but but you find that more because it's so intimate. I mean, the difference in HR is is when you're remote. So so when I was at the college, there was 11 sites. I barely met people. I'd fly in and I would do a disciplinary and it would be quite emotionless. When you're 
eating with 32 people every day and then trying to do HR with them or you know they've worked together for 15 years the the it's more they used to describe it as a dysfunctional family I was going to say you you've just raised a good point actually that that's made me kind of sit and reflect and and you are right actually because when it's smaller they do feel more like a family and um because when it's smaller you feel like you have that right to kind of bitch and moan and put your two cents forward whereas in a bigger organization you might feel well it's like dropping a a pebble in the sea you know no there's going to be no impact from me kind of kicking off whereas exactly when I'm in a smaller, I can drop a massive rock in a little pond, and you know everyone's going. Everyone's going to know when I win. Yeah, exactly. The charity, you know, you're there because you're passionate about the cause, and you know you're you're kind of. There's a difference with charities where people are really. You don't have to try hard to get engagement. People are already engaged. They're passionate. You've ticked that box, which is missing in so many organisations. But what comes with that is involvement and participation and everybody having a stake. And what comes with that is everybody having a stake and wanting to be heard. Um, so it, it like magnifies everything by a hundred times. So you've got thirty-two people. I was never so busy. Honestly. So how did you how did you turn that then? Because let's just let's just reel off the awards that you you got while you were here. So, um, well, oh, I only oh. I only won one before you reel off any that I got, but we were finalists for a number of awards. Oh, as well. Okay, okay, go on. You, I'll let you. I'm not going to say because I'll probably say something. Okay. You tell me that. <laughs> was yeah. So the first one that I went for was HR excellence, um, and then the CIPD transformational led change. So. Us, little old Furcroft, our little old charity with 32 people, were up against, I mean, huge global worldwide companies. I'd had probably like three consultants working on their awards bids, and I'd just done mine one evening. <laughs> so I was, yeah, we got to go to these very fancy awards ceremonies. And then TESS, which is the um, teaching education supplement um, we were up for best professional services in the education sector. So that's not just HR, that's finance, marketing, all the others for two years running. And the one that we won was we got investors in people gold um, and we won investors in people best newcomer. Which so, is fantastic. Yeah, yeah I know. It's, I mean, we really punched above our, above our weight. And so going back a step, so so we put in this employee voice, we defined the values, we did this big, big change program, which we led with employees. And that was the difference, was it was led with values. And we put values into everything that we did. Um, you know, and then people naturally left as they do. And the people that came on knew from day one, they knew from the advert that they saw, this is the values, these are the people, you know, and we attracted the right people. I mean, my I, I criticized someone in my past because when I left, I used to do really nice adverts. And when I left, they just put JDs up. They just put job descriptions up. They didn't even bother with an advert. You know, and I think, how, how can you be a HR person if you don't even sell the brand of your organisation to employees? You know, what I, are you I, about? I did, a, I did a video on LinkedIn about this the other day, just saying, you know, if you, all you're going to put is a list of responsibilities in an advert, why is anyone going to be interested? You need to put a compelling proposition, which is tell people about the story, the journey, what's going on. You know, as humans, we buy into stories. Um, and that's what gets us excited and passionate and evokes emotion in us. And if you just put, um, you know, ABC Limited, we're recruiting for a HR manager. Um, this is what you'll be doing, employee relations, recruitment. 
yawn, yawn, yawn. Who's going to, because no one's going to go, all oh, right, okay, I'm now going to go onto their website, look through everything, I'm going to try and find the value. Try and... People don't do that. You know, we're, we're too kind of instant in a society. But what they will read is, we're ABC Limited. We're a um, startup from two years old. We're ambitious on a journey. This is what we're doing. This is where we're trying to achieve. We really want to, you know, put value into our people. We want a passionate, enthusiastic HR manager who's going to join us and drive change. And you go, oh, I'm applying to this one. I hope I get this job. Versus, and it's just about, we're not all naturally creative writers, but it's not hard to explain what's going on either. No, no, it, no, it's not. And I mean, employee brands, a whole thing, um, employer brand is a whole thing that I could, you know, that I could talk about because uh, again, we couldn't attract good staff because we were surrounded by huge colleges paying a lot more. And um, in terms of the recruitment, one of the really good pieces of work we did was really branding. So anybody that follows me on LinkedIn, I think I've got 8,000 followers now. Anybody on there will know Furcroft is employees led. It treats its employees well. We're, you know, groundbreaking in our benefits um, you know, we come up with with individual innovative things that we don't just look what Google are doing and copy it. You know, we've come up with our own stuff. And I'm I'm no longer there, but I'm still connected as a consultant. Um, you know, and they won't mind me saying, but that's, you know, that's the brand of Furcroft now. And we had a waiting list of people wanting to work. So rather than being desperate, taking on, you know, poor quality candidates, them leaving, you having to replace, all of that keeps HR in a job. And I feel like some HR departments you know, maybe don't necessarily want to change things so they're a lot better because it would do some of them out of a job. Yeah. Um, you know, especially in the public sector, you can get a bit of, you know, if you're if you're not super busy all the time, you will yeah. be redundant within 12 months. But equally, you know, em- employer brand was something that turned that circle the other way. So you're getting really good people. They're lifting the culture. You know, you bring them on with the values and then they create the values-led culture. So that transformation project we did was what then led to those awards. And if you want to go for awards, the thing that you have to do in any good project, anything that you do, the thing that you have to do is measure at the start, track it, measure at the end, because then you've got a story, going back to a story. So you should actually be doing this on any project that you do. So people who are listening, if you're given responsibility for any form of HR project, this is just what you should do anyway. You should measure it. So what was it at the beginning? What was it at the end? And then you can articulate the impact that you've had. Otherwise, you're just filling your time. Yeah. And for your CV. So if you, if you look at my LinkedIn profile, it's probably on there, that the engagement survey when I started, before we did any of this, I ran an engagement survey and there was 17% trust in leaders. And I think engagement was about 32%. Oof. When we ran it again, 18 months later, engagement was 96% and trust in leaders had gone from 17 to 72%. That's so phenomenal. We had, and we maintained that. So the survey I did just before I left during COVID, that was maintained. Those levels were maintained. You know, and, I mean, it's, and pretty, it's pretty bad. You know, your starting point was pretty low. So it's obviously a phenomenal turnaround. Yeah. <laughs> But, that's, but you but no but you've still got to have done stuff to have turned that around because it, it yeah. could you could have done stuff and it could have gone from you know 17 to 42 still you know the fact oh, yeah, yeah, the global benchmark average was something like 45 and and we we smashed it to 96 and I would say that employee voice was probably the biggest thing that had done that because you you, you instantly put in that connection and for me a lot of goods um, kind of organizational culture and as you get a bit further up you know what what you really need to be looking at is networks and how information flows up and down 
So employee voice had a direct line into management. And as an issue arose, we dealt with it. There wasn't yeah. any issues developing, you know, brewing um, and all that kind of resentment that builds up. It was kind of issue dealt with, issue dealt with. Yeah. This goes on to, um, we were kind of just talking off air, weren't we? And I um, told you about a um, an audio book that I'm listening to at the moment. And, and that's actually what they've just kind of um, covered in. So it's the... Um, the people director, kind of whatever job title you want to give her, um, who was at Netflix, um, and she kind of joined in the, the kind of from the very beginning. But she explained about this culture of really kind of openness and transparency and honesty. Um, it's really interesting for for kind of people to listen to um, in terms of just you know getting rid of that. Um, anybody kind of bitching behind each other's backs and and um, almost brutally honest, but it was done in the right way and it created a really high performing um, culture. Um, so yeah, if anybody's interested in that, the name of it is um, Powerful, Building a Culture of Freedom and Responsibility. So if anybody's interested in that, I'd definitely recommend that. I'm, I'm a, it's about four hours longer than an audio book and I'm about an hour and a half in, but I'm enjoying it so far. Um, cool. So, you then left Fircroft and then... Well, yeah, so, so at some point during that, I got promoted to head of people. So, yeah. Um, yeah, and then started kind of dealing with the governance and the the much higher strategic bits um, and took on a bit of an externally facing role as well, sitting on some kind of external networks. Um, but yeah, so bringing it to the present, I've now left Fircroft. So, um, so why, why did you leave? And um, why did you leave to start up your own business? Because that's a bold leap as well. Yeah, in the middle of a pandemic, yeah. <laughs> hey, join the club, join the club. Well, I didn't join, uh, yeah, I didn't. Yeah, brave, brave, I mean. brave or stupid, I think the jury's out at the moment. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I kind of, I'd been treading water there for probably two years. We did that huge piece, got promoted to head of people, had a few challenges with, with um, governance that I kind of overcame. And well, it I, guess, like, I guess the thing is, when yeah. you've done something as big as that, yeah, He's what like, well, what can I, I've, I've done it. I've, you know, I've, I've done the turnaround now. I'll let somebody else kind of, um, um, kind of manage it. Um, I've kind of done what I yeah. can do with it so far. And that was another thing was, was I identified in myself. So I got to know myself a lot better through this process. And that's what my business is all about now is getting to know yourself and authenticity. Um, and one thing that I know is that I'm really good at, um, at starting things, at getting things up and running. I love all of that. I'm not the person that maintains them and keeps them steady afterwards. That's that's not my thing at all. Um, so I, I did my CIPD master's as well. I did a teaching qualification. Um, so I had quite a lot going on, which is why I, I kind of stayed for the five and a half years. Um, and then COVID hit as well, obviously. But it had been in my mind for quite a while to kind of go out on my own because I wanted a bit more, a bit more control and the ability to kind of innovate and be a, use my creativity. Because I think at heart I'm an entrepreneur and I have used that in HR. There's more than enough um, scope to to be an entrepreneur in HR. There's loads of things that you can do because it's well, so varied. Well, I'm in the same camp. That's exactly the reason why I set up by myself. It was to I had loads of ideas, loads of. Um, I wanted extra autonomy to be able to kind of have license to drive that change. So I, I completely get where you're coming from on that one. So yeah, talk, I, I talk, talk to me about kind of the what what the business is about, really, because, you know, you've got a great platform here to kind of, um, well, 
pitch to the to the audience, so to speak. But but if people be interested, so you know, because there's different types of HR consultancies. There's some who, you know, just carry on kind of generalist HR and go into and support kind of SMEs with it. But you're not doing that. You're doing really kind of niche. Yeah, so I'm doing my normal thing of having about um, 10 balls up in the air at once, just about juggling. So <clears throat> one of the things that, that I'm setting up and we're about to launch over the next few weeks is I identified last year during COVID, there was a period where I was propping up the organisation, I would say, in terms of mental health. And lots of people coming to me with mental health breakdowns, with you know suicidal thoughts, senior leaders kind of you know feeling like that. I was feeling like they were going to fall over and I was supporting everybody. But as a standalone HR person, there wasn't anybody for me to go to. And it it was as I was ending my time at the college, but it's really stayed with me, that feeling of kind of not just me, but senior leaders as well, not having that outlet. And, I, you know, I didn't want to go to the counselling service and the AIP. I wanted something different. So one of the services that I'm about to launch is I've worked with two um, psychotherapists who run a resilience training business um, who have a published model, um, which which kind of um, feeds into their resilience training. We've worked together to put a supervision service for HR. So counsellors have regular supervision, coaches have regular supervision to offload about the things that that they're going through. And we've developed one for HR, which is a mixture of kind of counselling, coaching and mentoring. And I'm about to release that, which I'm hoping will support people. Um, As well as that, we've got the Happy HR Strategic Facebook group. And that's where I really want to get some kind of really good disruption, thought leadership, um, help others who are on their journey to kind of see how things can be done differently. So talk, talk about that because, um, you know, you and I spoke about that um, kind of quite a few weeks ago. Um, yeah. so that's that's kind of how we engage, wasn't it? I'd seen the post about, um, about um, Happy HR. Um, so if anybody can listen in, um, there's, there's kind of HR ninjas, which is kind of quite a, a prominent group. Um, and I was kind of saying, well, what, you know, what are you doing that would be different to kind of HR ninjas? And you, you kind of, I, I felt you, you had a really kind of valid space that you wanted happy HR to exist within. Definitely. So there's so one of the main concepts is there's no transactional questions allowed. And, and HR Ninjas is great. It's great for transactional stuff and it's great for a lot of other things that, you know, they've done very, very well. But we wanted a space where it was for thought leadership, really, and it was for the big strategic things and it was for kind of development at a, at a kind of higher strategic level. Um, so that's that's really the basis of Happy HR. Um, there's, there's myself and three other co-founders, so Desiree Wegner, Michelle Hartley and Rachel Botfield, and we've all got kind of different strengths that we bring. And um, what we're working on in the background is... Well, I, think is we're, I think we're going to bring everybody on in the future, aren't yeah. we? We're going to have a podcast where yeah. I'm going to be overall Very by, noisy podcast. Um, yeah, the, the group of you who can really kind of go to town about kind of what it's about and the, the impact yeah. that it's that it's having. Um, so we'll kind of, you know, um, I don't know, in a, in a kind of few weeks or whenever it kind of works with everyone's um, diaries, we'll kind of get everybody on and you can kind of all share and kind of talk about this. Because I think for me, I, I although I'm not in HR, I completely resonate with what you're saying, because um, as a recruiter, um, somebody recommended a, a, a recruitment group to me on Facebook and somebody set it up and it was all about, you know, how can we drive change in recruitment? And then I've joined it and all I ever see is... Um, how do people get past such and such when they won't take a sales call? Um, how do people pitch the fit? And I'm like, 
well, this isn't really what I joined for. I thought we were going to be really, you know, driving change in recruitment. And all I'm getting here is you're all still doing recruitment the same it was always done. And and that's not really, and, I, and I've tried to kind of put a few um, disruptive comments and posts into the group that have gone down a bit like a lead balloon in some instances. And all they want to know is, you know, how many sales calls and, and how, when someone doesn't want to take your call, how are you going to do it? And I'm just like, don't do the sales calls you know build a relationship just in a network and yeah and they don't they don't want to hear it they just they they they, a lot of them just like the challenge of you know someone take my sales call i will beat them to a death until they do and it's like that's not the space i want to be in i'm afraid and that's what i like about you guys that there is the space of the transactional side um because people need that as well but there's there's also a big space yeah and there's a big space for well, actually, there's some other stuff that that isn't being addressed yet that, you know, how do we change it? How do we drive it forward? How do we, and and people who want to contribute and collectively be a part of that, great, you know, and that's what you guys in, within Happy HR is about, really. And I, I really, really yeah. like that. Yeah, and, and the happy, I should say, it stands for our values. So the whole idea is it's a values-led group. So I just H- thought you were like a smiley bunch. <laughs> well, there's that as well. <laughs> um, the, the H is for humanising HR. The A is for aligned to values. The P is personal development and positive change. And then the I is inclusion. And they're the things that we're really passionate about. So to, to go back to you asking about the business and all the different things I'm kind of working on, one of them that we're working on is, is a, a suite of different management and leadership training um, all based on those kind of values. So all backed up with DNI, all backed up with um, you know values led leadership. That's your passion, isn't it? It comes through. Yeah, really. You are you are um, driving change through values and making sure that they're at the core and the intrinsic element of of what goes on in an organisation. Definitely, definitely. So so the business that I've set up, I'm not doing um, transactional HR. If I can help it. Um, so I'm not I'm not selling myself as a HR consultant. But what I am doing is leadership and management development, cultural change and organizational change. Um, and then I'm really, really passionate about my coaching as well, because that that is the thing that's transformed me the most. So I wouldn't have set up my business without coaching. I wouldn't know what my business does without coaching. Um, you know, it, you said you've you've had some group coaching and you're going for a program. How have you found it? Have you found it very transformational yet? Um, it's a, the first one, not so much. The second one, yes. So there's kind of mine is, is through um, somebody approached me and it was some free funding that was available. Uh, I don't know from Europe or something. It was done through um, the council and um, uh, we're a collective kind of group. But the first one was on brand and and I, I, that's a real passion of mine. Um, you know, as a recruiter, it doesn't do sales calls. It's about the brand and and you know how we operate and making sure that's that's understood on every single touch point. So I kind of got that. The next one was very much about strategy. And this was kind of me going, you know, I'm not working on the business as much. I need to be working in the business. Uh, sorry, I'm working in the business too much. I need to be working on the business. And I, and I understood that. And the next one's about planning. So mine's kind of more around that. But but yeah. I'm, I'm very conscious as a business owner, um, you know, I know how to recruit. I've got great ideas and um, and things, but um, I very much need, I'm, I'd love to find a coach and I've kind of, I've kind of found someone, but I don't think he knows that I want him to be my coach yet. I just keep, <laughs> I just keep asking him a lot of questions, um, but he's, he's in the world of recruitment. He's been there, he's done it and, and he gives away a lot of free advice. Um, 
but I kind of I'm... If, if I just stop you there so coaching and mentoring are two very different things and this is something that people in HR need to understand so mentoring is where you're being taught something or somebody is imparting their value on you so that so what you're describing there is mentoring yeah coaching is a whole different kind of kind of game in itself because coaching is drawing out from within you the knowledge that you already know so coach, so, the, coach, so what I'm you, coaches ask you so what I'm having is yeah this this cohort that I'm a part of he very much does that he he lets us kind of lead the debate and then we kind of collectively start kind of pulling things out and reflecting and stuff so I guess he is coaching I I kind of need a mentor on the other side who kind of as a business leader and the, the recruitment stuff as well that's interesting though I didn't know that yeah, and actually you know you the service that I'm setting up has a bit of coaching and mentoring so I'm only using senior leaders to do it because often you know the position that you're in it's mentoring you know that can really help and make that impact and be saying I've been there and I've done that and this is what I did but what I love about coaching is when you're when you're in a time in your life where you don't know where you should go so you know like I say with me i kind of know I wanted to set up the business I didn't think it was possible because of finances I was like I've got a mortgage and coaching enabled me to look at things differently and see a different path that I could do that so that, so it was within me and it was the decisions that I took that led me to that um but it was the coach that draw that drew that out of me yeah it's and interesting I'm, you're making me think now because um cause I've, I've kind of um Jordan joined me as my first employee um at the beginning of uh, January and I'm 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 kind of doing a coaching and mentoring um, way of training him so in some regards I'm saying you need to do it like this because of this in other ways I'm trying to get him to think of the answer and and kind of coach him and I, I, I unconsciously not knowing kind of a difference between the two I was kind of trying to do that because you learn sometimes best by people making you answer it yourself from that yeah. within don't you which is kind of the coaching bit yeah. I mean, we could do a whole other session on this, but I'd say for anybody that's... Oh, you're not, you're not being on three times. <laughs> no, you can't get me on three times. No one wants to hear my Brummie drones on three ones. Um, but I would say anyone that's interested, um, have a read of Nancy Klein, Time to Think. That's one of the really good coaching books. And or, that talks about the type of insightful questions that you can ask people. Or sign up with you. Yeah, or sign up with me. <laughs> HR, where we'll talk about coaching a lot. <laughs> Fantastic. Fantastic. Look, I think it's it's brilliant what you're doing. You're, you know, oh my God, you and I now. Um, so so kind of I I approach people through kind of stuff I say on LinkedIn, see if they'd like to be a guest. And I think we spent an hour just talking before we'd even got to the point of you wanting to be a guest. Um, we spoke for 45 minutes before we even started recording this. Um, <laughs> I think you're great. You're really passionate. You've got loads of energy. I, I think you... I think hopefully people will pick up from this um, because of your varied background. You've come into HR with a slightly different skew on it all, and you've you've brought a different um, you've brought your own flavour to it all, which I think is great. But hopefully, we've kind of been able to pick up on some of those bits that people can kind of those insights that people can kind of learn from today and take away. So, um, yeah, I mean, if, if I was to have a final thought, because I feel like you might ask me for a final thought. I'm going to yes. It, yeah, it, it would it would very much be that HR isn't about you. Leadership is not about you. It never is. You know, it's never about you. It's never about your department. It's about everybody else. And once you grasp that, that is what changes everything. So, you know, the employee voice group that I said, you know, that wasn't about me. That was about empowering everybody else. 
if you're running training, you feel like I must be the expert. I must know everything. No, your job is to get the expertise from everybody else and facilitate learning. You know, if it's that you're a manager, oh, I must be the best manager. I must manage everybody really well. No, it's about your team and how you facilitate that. So, you know, take the pressure off yourself by thinking that everything has to be about you. That's what makes the difference is it's yeah. not about you're absolutely right and you know again me as a business leader employing people that's you know it for, for a year and a bit it was me the business was me and this is kind of where you're at and then as it grows I you know it's not me it's the brand it's the team it's the you know allowing them to flourish and grow that that then allows me to work on the business not in the business and you know I have to kind of make that transition um from that and again you know going back to that this kind of Netflix audio, but I just started listening. She says exactly the same stuff. It's about empowering the team um, and, you know, how they drove change through kind of Netflix of, of just letting people, giving them autonomy and responsibility to step up and be part of the team. So it's really, really kind of quite poignant of bringing you on because, you know, for me personally, I've got a lot of these kind of, I've got the audio going on. I've got my own thoughts going on. I've got my coaching. And then you're so, you know, but the fact that these all different touch points are all saying the same thing is because mm. it's true. You know, you're saying it because it's right. It's not just your opinion. It's it's correct. Um, and I, you know, I'm as an independent individual who just has the um, for what's the word I'm looking for. I'm lucky to be kind of sat having purity. Thank you. <laughs> um, I'm lucky enough to be sat here having this. You know this podcast is being listened by people, but I'm the lucky guy who has this dialogue with you. Um, so I can kind of talk about this. I'm learning all this as well. And, and if people can kind of take away this, this pearl of wisdom, um, you're absolutely right. It, you know, it really is true that once you can change your line of perspective, um, then you as a HR professional can start to um, approach the way you operate differently and you have a different mindset about, how your role impacts the organizations that you work for as well yeah definitely and it's true for businesses isn't it so for us it's never about us it's about our clients and you know what we can give to them really and completely the completely lisa this has been absolutely brilliant I've, I've, I've we could have gone on and on and on and on and on here <laughs> really we really good. could um i'm slightly nervous about bringing you and your gang in um now for a happy hr one because um yeah is, but that that'll be great I know it will be but look I, I just want to from me I want to thank you so much for today um I've really clicked with you you might disagree that you've clicked with me but I've really clicked with you I've enjoyed it um hopefully the listeners have got some really kind of useful insights are you happy for people to connect with you on LinkedIn and if they've got any questions kind of ask away yeah that's absolutely fine and thank you so much for inviting me on it's been a real pleasure and um yeah I, I think we could have easily done a two or three hour one what I won't address is um, we spoke about some really diverse topics prior to this, didn't we? We, we now. <laughs> yeah, we. I wish I could share it with people. We are. Uh, we. I don't know. I don't even know how we got onto half the stuff we spoke Let's about. Let's just say I've got a thirteen-year-old going through sex education and a few things at the moment. Yeah, and there was there was dead mice. There was barking dogs. There was um, how little sleep I'm getting. And oh yeah, we we really went around the houses before we even hit record on this but but for me that shows that you align and resonate with somebody when you can just go into that random conversation 
And I think that's why you will be such a success in your business because people will just gravitate towards you and what you're doing. You've got such a great personality that people will just buy into it and you've got a passion for it. So um, I'm sure our paths will cross again, but you know, I wish you I wish you lots of luck with the the venture and um with and yeah, I'll I'll look forward to kind of the happy HR gang um giving me lots of turmoil um in in future episodes. And yeah, hope listeners look forward to that as well. Thank you very much, Lisa. Thank you, Martin. And there we have it, another show done. Thank you for listening. If you do enjoy the show, please do like and review it on whichever platform it is that you listen to your podcast, whether it's iTunes, Spotify, Google. Um, Also, why not tell a friend as well? Get them involved. Share the wealth around. Um, Feedback is greatly appreciated as well. You can um, reach me on LinkedIn. Any feedback is really, really appreciated because that goes back into helping the show be what it is that you want um, and I can tailor it to make sure that I'm asking the questions that, that you guys think are relevant but thanks again and see you next week This podcast is brought to you by Hire People, a recruitment agency specialising in the HR and marketing professions. I have been an internal recruitment manager and a HR manager using the services of agencies. Some good, mostly poor. I have also been a job seeker who has been on the receiving end of poor service from every recruitment agency I have applied for a job through. It left me feeling despondent, non-supported and like a statistic. So I decided to do a Gandhi and be the change that I wanted to see in the world. Hire People was born from that desire to not only run a recruitment agency that has standards, but continuously drive those standards higher. This has come by offering a market leading six month 100% rebate, the innovation of a 3D CV concept that provides a video summary as well as the traditional CV for each candidate. And we place the focus on service, not sales. So if you're interested in working with us, Get in touch and let's see how we can help you.